But we know that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, and we know that um, he is talking about, he's towards the end of his life, and he's reflecting. And he's reflecting, and the Bible tells us that Solomon was one of the wisest men to ever live. And we're going to take his, what we learn from him today, and we're also going to take the words of Jesus. We're going to lay those together, and we're going to build, continue to build the foundations of what in a successful Christian or a successful kingdom-oriented life looks like. But before we read the scripture today, I want to tell you a story. And, um, and it comes from the aviation world, from the airplane world. And there's this kind of hazing thing. I, I know hazing's bad, so some of the Americans are like, whoa, hazing. Hazing thing. But here's what they would do. If you were new to the crew, they would, um, they would, they would, before you would get to the airplane, and the airplane had multiple stops, they would take these large trash bags, and they would write the location name of all the locations you were going to stop. These large, clear trash bags. And they would write, maybe if it was Frankfurt or maybe wherever it was, they would write it in a big Sharpie on the sign. And when the plane landed at the very first place, one of the already existing crew members, maybe a senior crew member, would take that bag and they would run out the back of the plane and they would make it big and wide and they'd run in a big circle and they'd fill it up with air. So you had this ginormous bag of air and they'd tie it up and they'd put it on the wall inside the plane. And they'd say, hey, that is the air samples. And we have to get air samples from every place we stop. It's important. We've got to turn them in at the end. And the guys are, oh, okay, right? They're all playing along. And the new guy, like, hey, new guy, man, this is a lot of work. I need you to take the lead. Oh, yeah, cool. The, you know, the guy just did it. So the next time the plane lands, the new guy comes, and he runs out the back of the plane, and he scoops up his ginormous trash bag of air, and he ties it up, puts it on the wall. He does this four, five, six times, and boy, does he have a beautiful stack of bags of air inside this plane, perfectly labeled. And then the moment of truth comes. They land at their final place. And he comes with his proud bags of air to which somebody says, what is this? He's like, I got the air samples. To which the guy's like, we we don't need air samples. And he realizes that he'd been hazed, picked on, welcomed, whatever word you want to use, with ginormous bags of air. Now, I tell you that story to tell you that the scripture we're about to read this morning comes to a very similar conclusion. We're going to read about Solomon talking about the seeking the pleasures of his life and how at the end of it, it seemed he didn't have a whole lot to show for it. So if you have your Bible with you or you'd like to read off the board, we're going to read Ecclesiastes starting in chapter 2. I said it in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart to how to cheer up my body with wine, and my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for me, for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, and I built a house and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools for which to water the forest and the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. Also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anyone who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and and providence. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. 
So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we take this time this morning and we take time to really dive into the truth of what this world and this life is about, I pray that our hearts would be open. And as we read your holy words this morning, God, that they would sink into our hearts. Lord, that they would teach us more about you and give us the joy of following you. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to ask ourselves three questions today. And the, and the first question we're going to ask ourselves today, um, is pleasure in itself wrong? That's a great question, right? All, all of us in here will probably thought, hmm, that's interesting, right? And then the preacher, the reason we call it the preacher is because Solomon, um, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, Solomon calls himself the preacher in the context of Ecclesiastes. So this could say, what is Solomon? Um, and Jesus teach of earthly pleasure. And then how do we go from earthly pleasure to kingdom pleasure? That's the three questions we're going to dive in today. So let's first start with pleasure itself. Is pleasure wrong? So, uh, in, in itself wrong. So, I wanted to read a scripture here for the Adam we just read, but kind of reflect back on it. It said, I said to my heart, Come now, and I will test you with pleasure to enjoy yourself. But behold, it was also vanity. So, he's starting with this idea of testing with pleasure being um, vanity. Right? So then you would think, well, what does that word mean? And is that word necessarily wrong? So I started doing a Bible search, and we looked through the, the whole um, idea of this word pleasure and the Hebrew word used here. And it's a very similar word to the word delight. It's, it's um, used kind of back and forth, but we see that God um, uses this idea of pleasure, and, and he uses it in a holy way. The scripture in Psalms, which is the next scripture up here, says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. So God, if God can take pleasure, then pleasure in itself cannot be wrong. Right? God doesn't sin. We believe that God is perfect. His attributes are perfect. His character is perfect. So therefore, and we can send you to see the, the Lord delights, and, and we see this back and forth. So we want to start with the idea, first of all, pleasure is not wrong. But pleasure in itself, and there's no, sorry, not a but there, but and pleasure in itself is a very unique thing. Because you always, everybody believes, and I think we are taught this, that if we do whatever brings us pleasure, we'll be satisfied, right? That we'll be happy. But I want to do a little test. So we have children in the room. This is how we prove things are true or not true. Yes, children, right? Okay, here we go. Children, have you, first of all, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever had an amazing piece of cake or just fantastic ice cream. Raise your hand. Dessert of some type. You're like, I don't know, a new one, right? Good, right? Now, when, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand back down. I'm going to ask you a question. After eating it, did you say, that was so good, I never want ice cream or cake again? Raise your hand. No? No? CJ, CJ's like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. No? Right? That's funny. How about this? You ready? I got another one for you. Maybe older kids. Those, anybody here, in here under 50? Older kids? Has ever played a video game that was fantastic? You're like, boy, that's a good video game. 
Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Y'all like, uh, looking around, right? Played a video game, right? And then when you got to the end of that very fun video game, whether it was an hour or maybe a day or a month later, however long you binged it, right? Did you go, man, that video game was so good that I never want to play video games again? No, right? See, the thing about pleasure is that it is not God's design that it is something that is satisfied. It is something that we pursue. And if we even look at the scripture, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He doesn't want to do it for a moment. This is what his desire is for eternity. See, pleasure within us, if we think about this, it was God-given desire to go after godly things. So there's a definition here that I like from the Bible Gateway that says this, a gratifying emotion used in scripture to refer both to human and divine emotions. Believers are invited to take pleasure in every aspect of God's creation while not allowing pleasure in creation to overshadow pleasure in the creator himself. So as we continue through this morning, it is very important that we don't blame the emotion for the the, the things that we're going to follow through, that we don't say that in itself it's wrong, but that we say where is it given and where are we enjoying it? So the next, the C.S. Lewis, I want to read this quote. He says, the surest, C.S. Lewis, who's a Christian author, um, he's written a lot of good books. He says, the surest way of spoiling a pleasure is to start examining your satisfaction, right? The surest way to start spoiling a pleasure is to start examining your satisfaction. Which brings us to the second question. This is probably the meat of what we learned in this scripture, is what does the preacher and Jesus teach us about earthly pleasures? He starts off with a pretty simple one. He says, um, don't get your pleasure from wine. Okay. They're like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? Here's what I'll tell you. Jesus made some fine wine. We, we know there's a scripture where he did this, right? Where he, where he blessed the party um, with his presence, and he did that. Here's what I'm going to tell you about this scripture here. He's talking about going to something to take you away from where you are other than God. What he's saying there about wine, or maybe we would say it as alcohol, or we'd say it as drugs, or whatever it is that you find, if there is something you're going to, in this case it's, it's, it's the, the emotions and the feelings that you can get from alcohol, that takes you away from the realities of what Christ is trying to do in your life. We learn this both here, but also in the New Testament, where Jesus tells us in Luke 21, he says, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down by carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you like a sudden trap. I'm going to tell you, the realities of any quick fix, but particularly those of alcohol, is that it will come down in an instant. God doesn't want us to find our pleasure in hiding from him through some type of substance. And as much as that seems like, well, of course, right? We all know that is a difficult part of the journey many of us face in this life. Do not find your pleasure in wine. He doesn't give much more to that. He was quick to move on. And we will do the same. How about things or stuff? Things or stuff. Boy, he had a lot of stuff, didn't he? He had, like, um, trees in the desert. So one thing that, that I have to remind myself, like, we live in Germany where it rains every day. Maybe that's not true. It just feels like it, really. 
Like every day. My dog now doesn't need baths. He just gets showered on the walk every morning. It's fantastic. The grass is green. There's ponds and waters everywhere, right? It's just naturally occurring. That is not the case in where he is at, where King Solomon is. He is having to build pools and put resources to put trees, and he is getting things and beautiful things and fruit and all these things, and he's getting servants and slaves, and he's growing this out, right? He's got so much in front of him. And his heart, I like what it says later on, we're going to this. his heart got satisfaction, his heart got pleasure from the toil producing all those things, or gaining all those things. Now we have a thing, um, I don't know, this is probably doesn't translate to the whole world, this is probably an American problem, but in America we have a thing called um, storage. Yeah. It's, it's these things, you pay someone to put up a metal building and to give you a 10 by 10 square so you can put your things in it. Right? So that you don't have to keep up with your things anymore, but you still have your things. I don't think that's as much of a problem here. But in, but in America, that's the that's thing. We have this idea is we need things. We need lots and lots of things. And our joy comes from going and getting things. And maybe it's from the shopping to get the things. Maybe it's from having the things. Maybe it's even from showing off the things. But we take pleasure in getting things. So did Solomon. Yet, Vanity. Jesus tells us this in his most famous sermon, a sermon on the mount. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It, it, Jesus is telling us that King Solomon's heart was in all those things. Jesus is telling us that when you're more concerned about what you can put in front of, uh, in your closet, or what you can put in your living room, or what you can put in your storage container, and then, then you are what you can put in the kingdom of heaven, that your heart is in the wrong place, and that pleasure is not satisfactory for God really even satisfactory for you or, or I, or we wouldn't go out and get more. But we don't, right? So I know the next argument, my next argument, well, you've got to have enough, right? We've got to have enough. Jesus knows our hearts and our minds better than we do. And so a few verses later, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, you have enough because you have the king. Right? So Solomon is getting all this work in to have these things. He wants to hang on to these things. And these things are not satisfying him. And Jesus takes it a step farther and says, not only do those things not satisfy you, they don't put up treasures in heaven. How about the next one? Don't get your pleasure from accomplishments. Now, I'm not saying that he was prideful, because the Bible doesn't say he was prideful, but he did say, and I quote, I have done more than anyone who has ever lived in Jerusalem. That's pretty big. I, I mean, I can't imagine saying I've done more than anyone who's ever lived in my house, much less more than anyone who's ever lived in Jerusalem. He said, look what I've accomplished. I'm the wisest king. I'm the most rich king. I've got sheep and herds, and, and, and there's literally, we know from history that other leaders would travel for miles to come see him. 
accomplished so much and his heart took joy and, and took pleasure in all that he had accomplished, right? And so you ask yourself, well, well I, whew, good, I'm not King Solomon. I'm not that bad, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. What's the very first thing? I'm gonna, I know the answer to this question, but it's not. If you ask a kid and you introduce yourself to a kid, the very first thing they tell you about themselves is what? What, Simon? Your name, right? Do, hey, I got a question. Uh, kids, I want you to raise your hand. If you met a new friend at school, is the very first thing you tell them, I'm the smartest kid in my class? No? No, somebody's like, yes, I would. Well, maybe you would. Or, hey, it, nice to meet you. My name is so-and-so. And just so you know, nobody has ever, ever beat this game as fast as I did. The kids don't do that, right? But what happens, adults, when you meet somebody? What is the, after your name, what is the second thing you tell them? What do you do? What's your job? How's life gone? Oh, what car do you drive? I mean, I don't know what you're asked, but you go down this path, right? Because we find pleasure in our accomplishments. And we find pleasure in, I want to do more. I want to be better. I want to find, I'm not comparing myself, but it just happens that I did better than everybody around me. Right? How are my kids behaving? Oh, my kids are not behaving as good as so-and-so's kids. Hmm. (laughs) I can say that. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. There you go. But we start to compare accomplishments because our heart starts to get a desire, starts to feel good. We get our pleasure from starting to compare and contrast and see who we are in this worldly standard. And in the end, when you stand at the very end, that's going to be all vanity. Your rank, your title, your wealth, all the things you drew pleasure in comes to the end in vanity. One more. One that I think is probably, in the modern age, one of the biggest struggles we have in our heart of pleasure. And that is the idea of getting our pleasure from entertainment. Entertainment is a really big industry. I don't know the number, but it's got more zeros than probably any other industry. It's got a lot of money. Get our heart from, or get our pleasure from entertainment. So let's talk a little bit about that. First, the Bible does have celebrations. The Bible has weddings, has parties, has sports, has dinners, um, has all kinds of activities, festivals, and all kinds of stuff going on. But in every one of those stories, they are the setting and not the purpose. So I want to clarify that. The Bible doesn't speak ill of those things existing or those things being a part of our lives. It only speaks bad of those things being the center of our lives. That's the first piece of of, uh, entertainment. Second, entertainment cannot be an excuse to sin. I'm just going to be completely as real as I can be in a mixed setting and say that that pleasure we talked about that says after I have one scoop of ice cream, I want another scoop, or that idea that once I finish this one thing, I want another, does not all of a sudden magically fall away when it comes to entertainment. I, okay, I'm going to be honest a moment. Binge watching something. If you, if you have ever binge watched something more than you feel like you should have, raise your hand. Right? <laughs> He's like, two hands to stand up. I like it. Like, confession, good for the soul, bad for the reputation. It's okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing is, it's not satisfying. 
Whether it is whether it is is wholesome or not wholesome, whether the things that you are watching are glorifying God or not, it's not wholesome to expand your life hiding or running after something that does not give back. And I'm going to tell you the thing about entertainment is that so many times we use that as a place to fill our hearts with sins, with ideas that we desire to have to go back to those other pieces we talked about earlier because we can get away with it because entertainment can be done by ourselves. When I am home, I can have three cups of ice cream because no one else is counting. Right? So this is the thing about pleasure of entertainment, is when we start to use it, it cannot be, and should not be, and will be completely dissatisfying if we use it as a place to obtain the sinful things in our lives. Jesus knows this. He tells us this in Matthew 5, in in the same Sermon on the Mount, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully and intents, uh, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one member than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. Now let me tell you that that isn't limited just to the men lusting in this one moment. If you are seeking desires in your entertainment, whether that's books, movies, sporting events, whatever that is, if you are seeking desires in there that that are intended for you to be something that God has not called you to be or in a place where God does not want you to be or looking at things God doesn't want you to look at, then you are doing no different than what he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. It may look different in today's society, but it's the same sin problem. And it's pleasure coming after things that are not ours to have. If that is a part of your entertainment, then that part must go away. And one last part about entertainment is it cannot be your escape. We heard this earlier about alcohol. We've heard this about going after work or going after accomplishments. The same thing is true for entertainment. It cannot be your escape. Our only shield, our only rock, our only protector is the Lord. And hiding in the ideas, or hiding in in the idea of being entertained, if I can just go and take my mind off of today's work, if I can just take my mind off of all the things that are going on in my life, if I can just find pleasure somewhere else to get myself feeling a little better, if I can just do that one more time, that is the idea of running after the wind. Because it will never satisfy King Solomon literally lays this out for us in verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was all reward, or swaying, this was my reward for all my toil. To stand at the end of life and look back realize it was for naught. So what do we do? So what do we do? Because I know everyone in this room fell into one of these categories because I fell into all of them. (laughs) 
Right? What do we do? How do we transition? How do we learn from King Solomon? How do we learn from Jesus and go, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be at the end looking back, wishing and hoping that I had not made these choices. So how do we change that now? Well, here's how we do it. We go from earthly pleasures to kingdom pleasures. And there's two, the first thing we have to do with that is we have to repent and seek first the kingdom of God. And I want to read for you 1 John 179. It says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a couple key things in this verse I want us to focus on. One is this, is that we must first realize we are sinners. We must confess. If we say that we are not, we are making God to be a liar, or we're lying. Whichever one it is, it's not right either way. We must first confess that, yes, God, I've been finding my earthly pleasures in places that do not satisfy. And when we confess that, he then says that we then surround ourselves, we fellowship with one another, find that people around you to have that, that turn with. One of the best things about not eating four bowls of ice cream, see, it keeps getting more and more, the cart's going to be gone soon. Four bowls of ice cream is if I'm there with somebody else that's also aware that I'm trying not to eat four bowls of ice cream. So let's turn this into reality. Put your honesty with your spouse or with your accountability uh, friend or with your parent or with your uh, whoever it is in your life and say, I want earthly pleasures to disappear and I want kingdom pleasures to be centered and I want to do it with you. That's what this church is for. That's what your small group is for. That is what these Christians that God has surrounded you with are for. To be a part of this journey. To have deep, satisfying relationships with Christ and with others. And then he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It means it's gone. All those things are gone. doesn't mean the journey is is completed or fixed. There's still going to be difficulties along the way, but the sins have been forgiven. So that's the the first piece of that, right, is, is ask for forgiveness, repent, and seek first the kingdom of God. But then we go back to what he said in the very beginning. Solomon said in the beginning, what is a man supposed to do in the few days he has under the sun? Right? Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you're young in here, you're like, maybe it's not a few days. And if you're a little older, you're like, those days are getting shorter. (laughs) It seems kind of small. But that's a question I asked myself when I was in college. It's a question I asked myself, maybe even like, uh, you ask kids, that is true. The very first thing you ask kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? What are you going to do in these days? I want to be a fireman, an astronaut, superhero, whatever. And then you go to, on through high school and college, what are you going to do with these days? And then you get to my age, which is older than that, and you go, what am I going to do with the remainder of these days? And then you get to the end, and I know that every day, my grandfather, who was um, in the past in his 90s, even until his late 80s and early 90s, would say, I want to be on this earth as long as God has purpose for the days ahead of me. What are you going to do with the days? So Solomon's asking a good, honest question, and then we need to know, what is the answer to that? And I'm going to tell you what the answer to that is. Ephesians 2.10. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship, there's one version of this that says we're his masterpiece. You were made for good works that God prepared for you in advance. Think about that. 
the God of the universe who put all these pieces together, who made all these trees that Solomon planned to grow, the God who did all these things, he has a good purpose for you that has already been prepared in advance. He already knows that with Christ, because that's the masterpiece part, with Christ, that you have that prepared for you. So I want you to think about some pleasures here, some kingdom pleasures, and, and reflect on this. Do you remember... Do you remember the first time that you told someone you were a Christian? Do you remember that? I remember. I picked up the phone. I was, this is when we had real phones. For you young people, you had to like dial and stuff. It was great. I picked up the phone and I called my teacher. I said, Mom, I want to tell my teacher I got saved. I want to tell my teacher. She said, oh, okay, okay. So she picked up the phone and dialed. And oh, what joy and pleasure came from that. Do you remember that? How about the first time that you talked and expressed and explained the gospel to someone else? Do you remember what it was like, the, the, the joy, the pleasure, the delight in the Lord that came from that? When you walked home that day, you weren't like, boy, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> that person just heard the gospel. Oh, that was horrible. No, you came home with your heart pounding in joyfulness, right, for something that's building kingdom treasures. Or for your parent, parents in here today. Do you remember the first time that you started to explain the Bible and the gospel to your children? Just praying and hoping that they get it? And the satisfaction that comes from every time there's a slight understanding? You see, kingdom pleasures, the good works that God has placed in part of you and in front of your life that he's made right are the only truly satisfying things. And it's because it goes all the way back to what Jesus said, is that we're building treasures in heaven, not ones here on earth. So think about it. How about the time that you helped a neighbor in the love of the name of Jesus? The Bible says, let your light shine before men. They may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Not you. King Solomon did not say, look what God has done for me, did he? Look what I have done. Kingdom treasures. Kingdom treasures. How about the last time, the last time that you turned in repentance and went before your father and just felt his embrace? Kingdom business. How do we do that? What are we supposed to do with that? I will tell you, I'll tell you, I want to go back to the young person on that airplane. Right? He's, he's been running. He's been gathering his air. And man, it's cool. He's gotten good at it by now. He's organized it. Maybe he's put it like alphabetical order. He's been telling others how good he is at gathering air. Right? And yet, there's going to be this moment when he realizes it's all for naught. But I'm going to tell you something. You and I go around in our pleasures of life and we gather bags of air and we fill them up and we tie them up and I just can imagine taking it before Jesus, before the throne of the King of Kings saying, look what I brought you. Would that be satisfying whatsoever? Could you imagine going to Jesus and saying, hey, don't worry, Jesus. My friends told me. Don't worry, Jesus. I got a lot of satisfaction at being the best airbagger there ever was. That's what Solomon's saying. And every one of us is going to come to the realization that we are not pursuing the kingdom. And it will either be today, 
Maybe it was before today and today is a reminder. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. Maybe it will be on through your life. But I promise you, there will be a day in front of the King. And there will be a day in front of Jesus where you have to come to the realization that all things not kingdom oriented, all things that we hid in this world, or all the things we ran after pleasures of our heart that were not in, the, in kingdom work are useless and shall be burned away to stand before the throne. So the application question today as we come to this time of invitation, and I'm going to ask the band to come up as we do our, our closing song, as we come to the time of invitation, the application question today is, when will you realize? When will you realize that all that you're running after are empty bags of air? Maybe you're like, Josh, I, um, I heard the second part of the sermon today, and I've never done that. I've never told someone about Jesus Christ, or maybe even I've never accepted the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I haven't been made that perfect creation that I'm supposed to be made in God's eyes. I haven't done that. I'm going to tell you today there is no greater pleasure, delight, and joy than the Lord has in His people when He can give them salvation.